What up, what up, what up? Super pumped to be back with another episode of the pod here today. Happy Tuesday to everybody out there listening. Just got done with work today. Happy to be here with you for, yet again, another fantastic episode of the pod ahead. Going to discuss some of the news that came out yesterday um, about Kevin Durant and basically his you or me trade demand uh, to Joe Sy, the owning and operating part of the Brooklyn Nets and the repercussions that that may have on the league moving forward. Also going to talk Patriots, Mac Jones struggling, and Bill Belichick brawl, and we'll talk coaching trees and who has the best coaching tree, in my opinion, uh, in the recent years in the NFL. And we'll talk uh, QB battle in Carolina. Who's going to win that job, Baker or Darnold? Or Baker or Darnold, excuse me. Um, You know, honestly, I'll get to it later, but I think that battle is already sealed up. I really do. And we'll get to fan mail at the end. A couple of questions to answer about the Giants. Uh, dysfunction and frustration coming out of that camp. The Broncos with with the uh, recent Tim Patrick injury, ACL tear out for the year, and their interest in potential wide receiver pickups, and also the news on Beast Mode's new DUI. Uh, poor Beast Mode, man. Um, but let's get started. Uh, let's talk Kevin Durant. So we finally have our divide, as I predicted last week. Would hear the news early this week. Uh, we knew he had the, uh, the uh, meeting with the owner, Josai. Didn't know how he would approach it, if he would double down, or he would say, hey, you took a chance on me with my injury. I didn't play that much anyways, but I was good when I played. I'm committed to Kyrie. I'm committed to the pieces. I'm committed to everything that the Nets stand for, and I want to win here on my own without superstar help. Well, <laughs> turns out Kevin Durant chose Kevin freaking Durant. And... It's easy to sit up here and say, oh, he's so selfish. I mean, such a good ball handler, shooter, really the whole package for the stretch forward position and or power forward, really. But uh, he really chose him. He really did. He looked around at the Brooklyn Nets roster, and while they have a lot of pieces, they pretty much had that team last year. I mean, they had some new additions, but how healthy is Simmons going to be? Does he really want to stick around and deal with Simmons crap? Really? Does he want to stick around and wonder if Kyrie's going to play every other night? Or when, you know, which version of Kyrie, you know, the cool Kyrie when you're playing video games and hanging out together, who's your bud, versus the guy who doesn't show up for work? It's really hard to be, you know, a boss or, you know, friends with your employees sometimes, especially in a power dynamic. Um, and I think Kevin Durant is really the the boss in this situation. It's really hard to be friends with your employees, right? Really hard for everything to go smoothly, and be friends on and off the court when, you know, the employee isn't doing their job to the best of their ability, um, not showing up to work, making up excuses, all that, you know, bad stuff. And I think Kevin Durant really just looked in the mirror and was like, look, F this. I'm out. I'm choosing myself. I need rings. I need finals MVPs. I need regular season MVPs. I need it all. I need to solidify my career. And, you know, what he was hoping to do in Brooklyn originally, I don't think... You know, I think he came to the realization that it's not happening here. He looked around the room, <laughs> no James Harden, no other big acquisitions, looked around the room and was like, dude, <laughs> what are you doing, Josiah? What are you doing to get me a championship? What are you doing? And he looks at these other teams who obviously have interest in him but may or may not be able to acquire him and is like, dude, I have such a good chance. There's, you know, five, six, seven, eight NBA teams that are on the bubble and if I go there, I put them over the top, no doubt. No doubt. So 
I think Kevin Durant finally, you know, had enough of the burners, had enough of the hiding behind other accounts, and just straight up was like, look, everybody knows this. It's been aired out. I got to pick me. I got to stand my ground. I got to pick me. And honestly, at this point, like I've been critical of Kevin Durant, but it's already, the rift has already been made. I, I don't blame him at this point, right? Squirming out of a contract, yes. But I'm looking around that room. I don't want to play with those guys either. <laughs> like, I don't blame him. And yes, my Simmons bias is going to come through here. But, you know, Kyrie, man, sick player like we all know and love. But damn, he's got baggage, bro. Mad baggage. And I think Kevin Durant's like, look, I'm not 24 anymore. I got a finite amount of years left in this league. Maybe not as many as LeBron or even some of these other, you know, a little bit healthier, more durable superstars. I need to capitalize while I'm still in the tail end of my prime. And I can't hate a player for making the best business decision for himself, even if it is squirming out of a contract. Because at the end of the day, it's a player's league. And he's doing what's right for one person and one person only, and that's Kevin freaking Durant. So part of me, you know, I've been critical of him jumping teams in the past, but at this point, it's well known. It's out there. He might as well make the most of it. He's not correcting that part of his legacy. You know, he's... He needs to go to a team, especially even another team than the Warriors. If he can go to another team and win a ring, it's still going to bolster his legacy. It's still going to make him great. You can say, oh, he jumped teams. Oh, he jumped ship. He couldn't do it the right way. How many people these days can do it the hard way? Seriously. LeBron was like the last one, basically. And I guess Kawhi, he jumped teams and kind of made the Raptors into something special. But they had other pieces, right? And he say, well, Austin, what about the Golden State Warriors? Dude, <laughs> they knew what they were doing on draft days. They built a whole team. It's not just Steph Curry there pulling that team. They have so much help on both sides of the ball, even Kevin Durant aside in that dynasty. That makes them so great. And yes, Steph is the bus driver. He's the conductor. You know, he's in charge. But, um, you know, so much help on that roster. Much better roster than Brooklyn right now. So deep. So many stars, so much money in that roster, just willing to pay those luxury fines and, you know, win more championships and capitalize on the last prime years of Steph and all those guys. Um, but I think Kevin Durant's just really looking for the best spot for him, and I'm kind of done blaming him for it. Now, we'll see where he ends up. I haven't heard really any new destination spots. It's kind of the same old ones. So maybe things with Boston, you know, spark back up. But this is really bad from <laughs> the Nets' perspective. They kind of did what they had to do at this point and said, you know, when Kevin Durant came out of that meeting and we heard basically Kevin Durant said, hey, it's me or basically fire Steve Nash and everybody but you <laughs> as the owner above because I don't believe in your direction. I don't believe in your roster. This is going to be my team. And the owner kind of stood up for everybody and was like, no, we just got Steve Nash. We're going to, you know, recently we're going to give him a chance. Uh, we think it was you and Kyrie and all the people not working, not necessarily our you know, dysfunction as a leadership, as an organization. So I know I, I credit Joe, Joe Sy in this as well. Yeah, he's got to do everything to keep Kevin Durant there, but if it's broken, sometimes you can't fix it. Sometimes you just can't. It's over. So I credit him for not bowing down and subduing to Kevin Durant and potentially destroying your franchise even further than it already will be without him. Um, the other aspect of this is you feel for the Nets, Wish he could have handled this more quietly at some point, but it's Kevin Durant. You knew it was getting out there, whether it was him or one of his burners. <laughs> um, uh, you know, 
they really don't have much leverage, even though it is Kevin Durant. You're never going to get in return what a player like Kevin Durant is actually worth on the open market. You will never even sniff it. Never. Especially this offseason with the Rudy Gobert deal, just blowing every value offer and comparison out of the water. <laughs> You're never going to get anything close to Kevin Durant's skill value to a team. So really a terrible, terrible loss by the Nets. They took a chance originally on this big three. Um, ultimately, everybody thought it was the right move. Looks like it went and, you know, kind of backfired, shot themselves in the foot on it. And this could affect them for the next couple of years. They lost some draft capital. They have some players with questionable health, questionable work ethic. It's going to be interesting. Like I, Without Kevin Durant, they're going to be like a 500 team, maybe, <laughs> maybe less in the East, unless they get somebody really good back for KD. But it's possible that they just don't get a bona fide superstar for him. You know? Maybe they just get a couple role players, and I think it's going to be mostly draft pick base because it almost has to be because that's the only thing you can basically hold value to right now. I don't think anyone's going to jump out there and give leverage back to Brooklyn and trade their superstar or two and some picks and rotational players. I think it's going to have to be a solid player, some rotational players, and then picks because that's really the only thing that will have value, at least face value, looking at the deal moving forward. So really interesting stuff. I kind of credit both sides. I mean, they took a swing and missed the Nets with all these deals. You know, you can't fault them for that. They thought it was going to work. They got amazing three players. Um, It just didn't work. You know, maybe they say, you know, you could have predicted Kyrie's action or inaction seems to be lost without LeBron. But I think the Nets, if you lose KD, (laughs) like, if you lose KD, you almost, I feel like you almost have to go into total rebuild the way the East is built. You're not winning without Kevin Durant. No freaking way. Not a chance. You're almost better off just getting rid of Kyrie. Just getting out from the whole situation. Give him to LA. Let Russ, let them trade you Russ. And just take on his contract, the relief that will give you from the financial standpoint. Um, basically. And then just collect picks and rebuild. Like, you're done. Dead in the water, done. You have no shot. You're not beating the Sixers. You're not beating the Heat. You're not beating the Bucks. Maybe not the Raptors. Like, you're not beating any of those teams. So... They really got to look in the mirror as the season starts, you know, over the next couple of months and just say, you know, we got to be honest where we are. We have to build for the future. The future is not right now. We made some mistakes. We went for it, you know, went right back in our face. It happens. You got to pivot, pivot, rebuild, come back stronger, build back the culture you were building before you brought the big three in. That's what you got to do. So interested to see where Kevin Durant ends up in all this. Like I said, they're never going to come close to what he's worth on the open market, mostly because, A, teams can't for a lot of the rules and financial reasons we talked about in previous episodes, but also because the Nets have played their hand, they have no leverage. Even with a player like Kevin Durant, they lost so much of their leverage. So, can't wait to see where he goes. I still think Boston is very interested, obviously. They see their championship window right now, and they know they need some extra help that you know, can get them over the Golden States or the Clippers when healthy and, you know, other potential championship teams in the West and also the healthy Bucks. You know, I don't think if they're getting by, they might not be getting by the Bucks if the Bucks are healthy. I don't think anyone can stop Giannis and Middleton at this point. So can't wait for the NBA season. We'll transition over to the NFL right now uh, for the rest of the pod. We're going to go into Mac Jones and Patriots training camp. So really troubling news for me coming out of Patriots camp from a long time, Patriots and NFL reporters saying that Mac Jones and the offense is really struggling. Like, 
really bad. Like, taking steps back from his rookie year, bad. Like, doing worse against a defense who lost their best player, bad. And you can say, oh, it's training camp, oh, it's practice. They're evaluating talent. They're trying new things. They're learning a whole new offense. But you still got to look at the facts. Second year, he should be taking a step up. Patriots defense, while still good, got worse. Okay, I know they don't have the best weapons in the room, but, I mean, come on. And there's there's times to try new stuff in practice, but this is the Patriots, man. And the rumor that this offense is 100% new, totally new offense, is total BS. Talking to former Patriots staff, NFL coaches, things like that, hearing what they have to say, this is not a totally new offense. There's wrinkles for sure. They're switching running schemes um, in terms of zone and run. Um, blocking schemes, but, you know, and, and certainly this is the time to, to get out the wrinkles, and maybe the defense can just capitalize on that, but still, troubling news, troubling, troubling news, and I think we're really going to see what Mac Jones is here moving forward. I think he was a good college quarterback on an extremely, extremely above average roster, and if he were in the NFL in that situation, he would thrive. Unfortunately, the NFL is mostly a level playing field. And unfortunately for him, the Patriots roster overall, especially on the offensive side of the ball, is nowhere near the level of, level of advantage they had at Alabama with all those D1 for, or, um, you know, first round draft picks and everybody they pump out every year, especially on offense these last, you know, this last decade. So I think Mac Jones, you know, will be an average quarterback in the league. Um, still has a lot of room to grow. Maybe I eat crow on that one. But I think... This speaks to more about Belichick. And I don't want to just trash Mac this segment. I want to talk about Bill and the Patriots. They're the best football dynasty we've ever seen. Ever. Best quarterback, sixth round pick, coming out. I saw the thing Brady posted. He wasn't even in Madden year two. They didn't even have his name uh, in the game when he was on the roster. Just his number. And... To build what they did, obviously they had to do that together. Obviously Brady had amazing defenses when Bill was on top of his game um, that won a lot of those first Super Bowls, good special teams and kicking. Uh, But then Brady really took over that team in the latter years and really drove the offense to win Super Bowls, right? And now you see him doing it in Tampa. And I loved that debate back when Bill and Brady split and we had the whole time to debate whether it was Brady or Belichick and everybody had such harsh opinions. And we know the answer. While Belichick, his efforts weren't negligible, he's still one of the best coaches to ever coach, ever. But Brady was driving the bus. Brady had amazing weapons at one point in time, but he made nobodies, somebodies, household names, Amendola, Wes Welker, all these guys, all these running backs that come out of nowhere that Brady just uses in the passing game. Just crazy, crazy stuff. And now we know it's Brady. Obviously, you can't discredit Belichick too much. He was a part of those teams. He schemed everything. But now, I think we're in a stage of Bill's career where not only does he not have the quarterback to have some luxuries to make mistakes, especially on on the offensive side of the ball where Brady basically just ran the whole offense at the line, you have to set the rookie or set the young quarterback in positions to win. The ginormous difference between a player like him just starting out in a perfect system in Alabama, going to the best quarterback of all time at the line of scrimmage, I don't think you can understand or fathom how much of a difference that is, not only for the individual quarterback position, but 
the whole offense and team as a whole. That difference we are now seeing highlighted. And <laughs> it just goes to show you how valuable a good quarterback is in this league, especially one of the best of all time. Um, but again, with Belichick, he's it just seems to me like he's refusing to adapt. You look at Saban in college, and for so many years, it's running the ball on defense, and he won so many championships, won so many games, and then he goes, look, my defense, no matter how good they are, they can't stop everybody if we're just running the ball the whole time. The rules are not set up to be advantageous for the defense. So what do you do? He didn't say, oh, I'm the smartest coach. I'm going to out-scheme everybody. I'm still out-recruiting everybody on defense. No. He went out. He focused on more on quarterbacks, more on wide receivers and weapons, and look at him now. They're still relevant. They're still competitive. They survived, you know, basically two different eras of football. And you can see the Patriots, they're not surviving the two eras of football. They're not. They're turning in the opposite direction. They, they will always be able to run the ball. They'll always play solid defense. But they have no passing game. And you can't win championships in the NFL today without a passing game. You just can't. The rules give the middle of the defense to the offense. It's just how the game is played. And I still think Bill, you know, many consider him to be the best coach of all time, which I can't necessarily take away from him. But he's got to adapt. And I don't think, I mean, I can't see him doing anything else other than football. I just can't. It's too weird. <laughs> too weird. But is his retirement soon? How long is he going to stick around if they keep going 500 or less? All it's doing is tarnishing his legacy. You know? And I'm sure it's fun to coach with your sons and make them all coordinators and things like that. And maybe his goal is to basically hand the team over to one of his sons. You know, I think that ultimately is his goal. I mean, why wouldn't it be if you're a dad, if you're a father, what a prouder moment than that, right? Continue the family legacy. But I think they're in real trouble moving forward unless they make a philosophical shift. They've the most expensive wide receiver tight end room combined in the whole league and one of the worst performing units in the league that is just a blunder much of which belichick commanded with his draft and free agent decisions in the past and i wanted to take a minute and talk sort of coaching trees right and who you know who has the best coaching trees so belichick obviously started in cleveland went to patriots um he's got josh mcdaniels a promising raiders coach and you know supposedly genius offensive coordinator um, another issue they're going to have to deal with this year. Uh, Dayball, obviously on the Giants. Um, good head coach. We'll see if he can turn that around. I'm not sure. But he's got Romeo Cornell, Eric Mangini, Saban, who in the NFL wasn't that great. Uh, Patricia, Vrabel, uh, technically. Uh, Bill O'Brien, Joe Judge, Brian Flores. People with lots of promise coming out. And then haven't really done that much in the NFL. And look what most of them have done. Bill O'Brien, out of the NFL, back to college with Saban. Mancini, out. Cornell, out. You know, you got Patricia, but he's back. <laughs> Joe Judge, you know, relegated. Vrabel's still hanging around as a former player. Looks like he's having some success here and there in Tennessee. But overall, you know, not a lot of success. I mean, that's dependent on Dable and McDaniels, but not a lot of success. And now the coaching tree is going to be his sons moving forward. I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> you know, that's scary stuff. I just I just question if he's willing to evolve or he's so stubborn that he thinks that he's the best coach ever, which I'm sure he does and he has the right to do so. 
but the best coaches ever evolve. Nick Saban evolved. Okay? Nick Saban evolved. And Belichick's going to have to evolve. Maybe even relinquish some power, as he's been trying to do at least, and, you know, draft days and things like that. Um, but he's got to relinquish some power. We look at some of these other coaching trees. Uh, the two that come to mind that are, in my opinion, so much better. Um, the Shanahan-McVay and then the Andy Reid tree. So since 2016, Shanahan-McVay coaching tree. Of course, Mike Shanahan, great coach, Broncos. Um, his son Kyle from the Niners looks like a great coach. McVay obviously speaks for himself. Zach Taylor with the Bengals. Many thought he was one of the worst coaches and he would get fired. Look at what he did last year. Crazy. Matt LaFleur with the Packers. He's making Mike McCarthy look stupid. Uh, Robert Salah, you know, Jets, maybe they turn around. Um, Brandon Staley for the Chargers obviously has lost some games, but he's got an amazing team and a chance to have a great coaching career. Mike McDaniel, who's now the Dolphins coach with some weapons. Kevin O'Connell, the tall Sean McVay, the Minnesota coach. Like, that's a good tree. All young guys, all, for the most part, on winning teams and making noise and on the up and up. That's an amazing coaching tree. And those are guys that are young, understand the rules of the game, respect the elders like Mike Shanahan, respect the system, and just know how to find players and play football. They just do. And then my guy, Andy Reid, you know, sad the day we fired him out of Philly, and but I'm so happy for him landing on his feet with Alex Smith in Kansas City, falling right into Patrick Mahomes after trading up. His coaching tree, impressive. John Harbaugh. I mean, come on, John Harbaugh, Ravens, Super Bowl, three conference championship game appearances, okay? Doug Peterson, nobody thought the Eagles had a sniffing shot after Wentz's MVP caliber year and Foles came in. Foles, Nick Foles, the potential basically journeyman, comes to Philly, the city of underdogs, and wins. I was in Philly for med school, that was my first year of med school, um, when that all happened and living in Maniunk and... Oh my gosh, <laughs> just the best fall you could ever ask for. Oh my gosh, incredible year. Driven by Doug Peterson, Nick Foles, and the rest of that team, and obviously the veterans driving that team. Now he's got a chance in Jacksonville, and I think he can really turn around with Trevor Lawrence. We'll see. He can't do worse than Urban. You know, not a bad guy to follow up. <laughs> if you're going to pick situations, not a bad situation. <laughs> Ron Rivera, say what you want, tough guy. Uh, he's got a Super Bowl appearance, you know. Um, not a whole lot of postseason success, um, but had a good run with Cam Newton and the Panthers and see what he can do in Washington with, uh, you know, Carson. And then you got Sean McDermott, you know, whether you credit him or Dayball, basically the guys credited with turning around one of the most historically crazy changes in accuracy we've seen from college to this point in the pros in Josh Allen, his accuracy going up like 20% plus unheard of crazy so you see these coaching trees just the different philosophies of coaching the reed the shanahan the shanahan the mcveigh those coaches willing to adapt andy reed willing to adapt to the rules to play the most beneficial football that he can so i think that's the main problem i think belichick has to look in the mirror and hang it up or adapt he really does or else they're going to keep you know keep being left in the dust and I think it's more of an indictment on the Patriots and Bill Belichick than Mac Jones. I think he's doing the best he can. This used to happen all the time with Alabama quarterbacks. 
they come to the pros and they're not that great because they usually go to bad teams, A, and B, they had the best team in college football and they usually just ran and played defense. <laughs> okay? It just is what it is. So, again, I think the Patriots have an underwhelming year. I really do. Um, but I can't wait to see, you know, basically the whole NFL season. I, I can't. I'm honestly excited for every team. I can't even lie. <laughs> like, every single team. So, uh, can't wait for all that. Honestly, it's going to be a great, great, freaking great NFL season. Wanted to transition to the quarterback battle that's brewing down in Carolina. Obviously a dysfunctional team at this point. Not looking to turn a lot of heads this year. Two mediocre quarterbacks so far with their careers in the NFL. Um, you know, Darnold and Baker splitting reps. Who's going to be the guy moving forward? They got to pick one. You know, they can't just do series. This isn't college. So, you know, I've heard opinions from both sides, but I really think this is locked up. And I haven't watched a lot of footage. I haven't heard a ton performance-wise coming out of the camp. But really, this is Baker's job. I've been highly critical of Baker in the past. Obviously, you know my personal feelings about him. But this is his job. Okay? You go out, you get a guy. Obviously, you're paying a lot of money for Sam Darnold. Kind of an embarrassing pickup. Uh, the way he's played. But Sam Darnold knows the offense. He's been there. Him and Baker are splitting reps. Obviously, it's hurting both of them, splitting reps, because you got to run with the ones most of the time with both of them to see, to evaluate each of them equally. Or else, how can you truly know if one's with the ones and Baker's with the twos? And really, I think because of that, it's Baker's job to lose, right? I think Baker has more natural talent, which we saw in college. And for moments, flashes in the pros, which we haven't always seen from Sam Darnold. Plus, like I said, Darnold knows the offense. He should look better than Baker. If Baker steps in and looks just as good or better, it's his job. By a landslide. Regardless of what I feel about them personally, it's his job. Darnold's going to get a shorter leash than Baker. You know? Baker can get three C's and might have another chance. Sam might only get one C. And, you know, it's Baker's time. So, I don't know. I feel bad for these guys. One of them, <laughs> it's almost like one of them has to get shipped out, like, before the deadline when a team loses a quarterback and gets desperate and flips, like, a second or a third somehow, uh, which would be crazy. <laughs> um, like, gets desperate, needs a quarterback, picks up one of those guys. But I think it's really Baker's job to lose. And I think he is a better player. And I think we'll see that moving forward. Who knows? We'll be the week one starter. It's Matt Rule and the Panthers. I <laughs> I really can't predict that. But I think Baker will have the job moving forward as long as he stays healthy and stays out of trouble and maybe stay, you know spends more time in the film room than on TV. Um, but I think he got humbled hard. Like, publicly shamed, humbled. So it's all about how you know champions respond to situations like these, situations of negativity. It's They rise above it. They look themselves in the mirror and say, I was wrong. This is what I can do. i got to stop pointing fingers. This is what I'm going to do to rebound, get this job, and relaunch my chance at another mega deal down the line. And quarterbacks, if anybody, have the best chance to do that, given the position, given the value, given the contracts. So I hope for everybody you know, in the NFL, obviously, for success and that he can turn it around. But I really think it's Darnold's job to – or uh, excuse me, uh, Darnold to be the backup, Baker's job to lose. So interested to keep following that story, but – Wanted to transition over to fan mail now. A couple of cool questions coming in through the DMs, on, you know, answered on the pod today. Excited to get right to it. So here's a question from a Giants fan. Hey, Giants lover here. 
Just wanted to ask what you thought of the training camp so far, the news of dysfunction coming out of camp, and how will this affect Daniel Jones going forward? Will he get a deal to stay with them? Thanks. So, <laughs> I'm going to read my bias here. Really, I don't feel threatened by the Giants anymore. After, you know, their pass rush kind of faded and retired, and Eli retired, and some of their receivers kind of moved on or retired. Um, obviously not a big threat to that division. Saquon's healthy. He's looking sweet. I love Saquon. Got his jersey downstairs in my garage. <laughs> I love that guy. Huge Penn State guy. Was one of the best running backs that I've ever seen in college. Um, problem with the Giants is, A, they can't block for him. And they did make changes to the O-line. They've invested in the draft. It should be better. But if they can't block for Saquon, he's going to get hurt again. And I really that's the last thing I want to see this year is Saquon get hurt. So the other aspect of this is, there's been multiple, not one, multiple fights. We're not talking squirmishes. We're not talking healthy competition. We're talking brawls at Giants practice. Dable right now is like, man, I miss Josh Allen. Man, I should have I should have kept my less salary <laughs> and and stayed with Josh and Sean and just ring chased. <laughs> like, this is bad. <laughs> I got a quarterback who probably will be a perennial backup. And I got fights breaking out. I don't know if I can protect my star player in Saquon. It's bad. And I have not heard a lot of positivity out of that training camp. I'm sorry to tell you, buddy. But multiple brawls, focusing on the wrong things. They need to focus on player development. They're the New York Giants. They have one of the biggest markets in the league. One of the most wealthy, popular franchises in NFL history still to this day in value in a huge market, they can get good again. They need to get good again. They really do. But I don't think this is it. I hope Dayball can turn around. Maybe he can make Daniel Jones into something. But this is the last thing that Daniel Jones needs. A struggling quarterback trying to prove his worth. He was overdrafted. So much criticism. So much hate. He's a turnover machine. He... he <laughs> It's just crazy. He wakes up and pours himself just a bowl of turnovers. No milk. Just crazy. Fumbles, picks, pick sixes, fumbles for six, sacks, turnover machine, right? And I just really don't see that getting much better. You know, they have some weapons. We'll see how their young weapons can do. Can they stay healthy? Can they work together and develop as a team and really give Daniel Jones a fighting chance? You know, realistically, I don't think that happens. I really don't. I think what ends up happening is Daniel Jones gets shipped out at the end of the year uh, to a team looking for a backup or a desperate team looking for maybe a last chance on Daniel Jones. But I don't see a big lockdown contract coming in the future for Daniel Jones. Um, I don't see a whole lot of positive things coming out of New York this year. Even with their exciting draft in the first round, got some really good players. But I just see a lot of problems for New York. I'm sorry, buddy. Hang in there. <laughs> Better days ahead. But it's the birds' time, so maybe next year, buddy. Um, wanted to uh, answer this question here about um, the Eagles' interest in shopping Jalen Rager. Uh, question goes: Hey, go birds! Hell yeah, <laughs> hell yeah, go birds, baby! Um, heard they've been shopping Jalen Rager. What do you think about that? I'm pretty psyched. Thanks. Love the show. Hey, thanks, man. Um, I just, <laughs> you know how I feel about Rager, right? The drops, consistently not showing up at all in games. And it wouldn't be so bad 
it really wouldn't if <laughs> the guy picked after him was Justin freaking Jefferson. Like an auto top five receiver in the first two years in the league. Like, come on, dude. Every fan that year is like, oh my God, Justin Jefferson's on the board. Oh my God, he's there. Oh my God, we're going to get him. I remember, any Eagles fan will remember this. We're all like, oh my God, he's right there. Oh my God, he was just on a sick LSU team. Oh my, maybe Jamar Chase is better, but he's not draft eligible. This is the best receiver draft eligible on their team. Maybe from football. Oh my God, I can't wait. We're all hyped. Here it comes. Pick is in. Eagles select Jalen Rager, TCU, wide receiver. And just a collective sigh across the nation, an outburst. And even then, I don't think we really knew how bad it was going to be. It's bad. It's an all-time with, especially when it was sitting for you on a silver platter, a guy on an LSU, the most dominant offense we've seen in some time, driving a lot of that offense. And we pick a guy from TCU because, oh, he can kind of jump. He can kind of catch a deep ball. He's kind of fast. Bull. Come on. Come on. So, (laughs) personal feelings aside, Broncos are desperate, right? They need a three or four wide receiver now that Patrick is out for the year. They need any speed they can get to help Russell Wilson to augment his deep ball threat that he had with DK and Lockett in Seattle, trying to recreate some of that play. They're going to run the ball a lot still with Russ, especially in the beginning. They're going to run the ball a lot, but Russ is very effective in the play action, and they know Jalen Rager can just straight fly. So if they put him on the edge, run him in basically play action streaks and posts, that's all you're really going to have to do for them. And I think that's a better role that he will serve on the Eagles because Quez is kind of that guy for us, and he's got a way better connection and way more skills, and he's faster. You know, has a better connection with Jalen. Excuse me, Hurts. And Devonta and, you know, stud A.J. Brown. How many targets or how many snaps is Rager going to actually get? He's at least the number four, if not worse, wide receiver right now heading into the season. So Howie, you know, I applaud you, like I said, for not whiffing on a receiver this year and just taking the sure commodity in A.J. Brown. But this is where Howie thrives, okay? Not picking the star weapon in the draft. Howie thrives with cap moves. And flipping guys like this. Flipping Sam Bradford for a one. Flipping Wentz for value. Flipping these guys we totally basically whiff on for picks. He will flip Rager for a pick. Okay? Maybe not a great pick. But either way, he's going to turn that into a 2023 pick, which is an already loaded draft for the Eagles. And maybe Howie can do something with it. Ultimately, I think Howie's in the perfect position. Even with all his past whiffs. If Jalen's the guy this year, you pay him. He's the guy. You have a ton of draft capital to build around him. Done. If he's not the guy, you have probably some teams still interested in him, um, at least as a bridge player, or maybe they still have hope for him. Plus, a ton of draft capital with a very promising quarterback class coming through. Obviously, there's no way to tell how the quarterback's paying out, but from what everybody says, a much better quarterback class than last year, obviously. And he's in the perfect position. He doesn't have to pay Jalen Hurts after this year if he doesn't feel him, if he's not playing well. There's a ton of good quarterbacks. You can get your guy. And you have the draft capital to you know to do so. So I think the Eagles are really, really set up for the future here. Obviously going to lose some of the superstar Philly beloved veterans here in the next couple of years. BG, Kelsey, you know, Fletch, 
all those guys. We'll see how many years each of them has left. I think Kelsey will be the first to go. I don't think you know Fletch and and them will be too far behind in BG, but um, I got to give credit to Howie on this one. He's really in the driver's seat. He's going to flip Rager for a pick if there's at all interest, like at all. The question is, will the Broncos be willing to <laughs> to give a pick, dude? Who knows? Who knows, man? I, I Lord knows I wouldn't. Good Lord, <laughs> like just stop. You're telling me there's not better receivers that you can put in the three and the four hole than him? Come on. Seriously, it's a shame. But off my soapbox about Rager, um, it's not as much his fault, man. Like, he was overdrafted. Um, and the guy that we should have picked that went right behind him, you saw the Vikings war room after the Eagles made the pick. They're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. They freaking did it. He's the, they freaking did it. <laughs> they couldn't believe they were astounded. They were shocked that they didn't take ju- that the Eagles didn't take Justin Jefferson and the Vikings pick was in, like, two seconds after. <laughs> it's like... So embarrassing to this day. So, so embarrassing. So, you know, the least I can say is the Broncos, he would fit in well in Denver as a play-action deep play receiver, but the Eagles already have Quez, and he's a better version of Jalen Rager. So there's really no place for Rager on the Eagles. So if you can get him for even a late-round pick, it's a win. It just is. It's a win. Heading to the last question of the pod here today. Hey, love the pod. Wanted to know how you felt about your boy, Beast Quake, Marshawn Lynch, and his recent news of the DUI um, coming out. <laughs> My friends know that I love Marshawn Lynch. You know, the Beast Quake, the run against the Saints. Just an electric, power-running football player. I still feel bad that they didn't hand it to him on the goal line for that Super Bowl. That must eat him alive. Could have been the hero of that Super Bowl and you had to pass. Just <laughs> ridiculous. A story for another time, but... Marshawn Lynch is facing four charges, I believe. Um, DUI, driving an unregistered vehicle, failure to stay in his lane, and failure to surrender his proof of security. Arrested around 7.30 a.m. local time in Las Vegas. Uh, he's in custody pending bail of about 3.5K. Uh, his mugshot is not pretty. <laughs> he is not happy, which if you're out at that time in the morning slash night and you're messed up, I mean, that <laughs> that's not surprising. It's a tough mugshot, man. Uh, definitely go give it a look. I uh, wish I could show you here today, but um, the arrest comes literally one day after the Seahawks just announced that he would be serving as a correspondent for the season um, in a role that would, quote, have him producing creative content for a variety of projects. <sighs> man, just sad news, man. I, I love Beast Quake, dude. That era when he was just running over everybody was such a fun era of football. So fun. He just ran with such speed, such conviction, such power that, like, people were just straight up avoiding him, like, through the whole... Like, if you're if you're a small linebacker, a safety, a corner, you just had no shot of tackling. You have 0% chance of tackling him. Zero. You can only hope that he runs out of bounds or runs back to one of your bigger teammates or runs into a double or a triple tackle, like a gang, gang tackle. But, like, you know, obviously won a Super Bowl, uh, five-time pro bowler, Seven seasons in Seattle. Um, basically built that team with the defense, uh, augmented by Russell Wilson. Like, he was the, people don't remember, like, he was the driving force of the offense in those early Russell Wilson days. He really was. Um, obviously, when he was in Seattle in 2012, he got arrested for DUI while as a player, but the charge was later reduced uh, to reckless driving after he played guilty. Um, just a sad day. 
ultimately, I hope that you know Marshawn gets the help that he needs personally to stop putting himself in these situations that could harm himself and most importantly harm other people um, is the main message here. Really hope that he can you know get the help, turn it around, and continue to be a positive force after football. You know what he is to so many fans and and the media. Just a smiling face, hilarious comments. Like his video back in college driving the card on the field. We love it. He's a skill machine. We love it. <laughs> you know, I love what he does for the game. I love what he does for the, the fans and the media. And it's just sad to see players continue to make mistakes like this. Again, small major or a small minority of the league. But it's sad when you see your favorite players do stuff like this and put themselves and and more importantly put other people in harm's way. And Again, who knows what he'll be moving forward. I'm sure he'll, you know, get over this um, from a, you know, social public perspective. Who knows how that will affect his new role with the Seahawks, if he'll still be able to, you know, counsel and be involved this year. Um, obviously, it's still on commercials sometimes and very active in the league and making a name for himself after the NFL. And I was really looking forward to what he can do for the rest of his career and make a positive impact on the game. I, I really think that he still will do so. He just really needs to take some time in the next couple of months and year to focus on himself and focus on self-reform and ultimately put his best foot forward to help contribute to society in a positive way and not put himself or others in danger. And I personally, I'm, I'm one for reform. I hope he gets the help he needs. I hope he can come back and be successful after football and, like I said, make a positive impact in the NFL. Um, you know, his NFL, his beastquake days are over, but he can still bring joy to the world. And that's it for the pod today. Uh, shorter pod. Just got done with work. Got to work tomorrow. Appreciate everybody listening. Again, we're so damn close. <laughs> we're so close. I can feel it. To the NFL season. No more weekends without NFL or college football if you count the preseason. Going to be electric. We got more fantasy stuff down the line. More importantly, we got best gambling lines once the season opens up. Really excited for those segments every week. Try to help y'all, you know, get some money as well as, you know, have some fun with the game and going to break down the college football landscape as well in the next, you know, upcoming weeks and any other NBA news that breaks. Enjoy the rest of your night. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in a few days, hopefully sooner. And remember, spread the love, spread the joy. Trust the doc sports podcast. Peace.